Welcome to Love and Other Investments, where we talk about finances, but more importantly, how finances impact relationships. My name is John, and I'm a financial planner. And my name is Jeff, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to Love and Other Investments. Um, just as a disclaimer today, um, <coughs> there it is, I'm getting over a bug. So there will be a little bit of coughing in your ear today, and I'm terribly sorry about you that. You feeling okay? I'm feeling great, but <laughs> I still sound terrible. Okay. Um, normally, Jeff and I talk about love and relationships and money and how they all get muddled up. We try to help people unpack that. But today we're going to kind of unbundle a little bit and just take a look at what Jeff does um, and kind of figure out maybe what therapy is um, so our listeners can have a better sense of what it is and when it applies. So let's start with, with this. I feel bad for you, man. It's all good. Just cough whenever you need to. Let's start with the language. There's so much pop psych and it's hard to know what to call psychotherapy. But let's just say either psychotherapy or therapy is the kind of uh, professional relationship you have with a trained mental health professional in which you talk about the pains of life. And those might come in the form of certain kinds of symptoms like depression or anxiety, or they might come in the form of something that's happened in life that's you know problematic in one way or another the, the loss of a family member or whatever and i think the primary uh, goal for most psychotherapy is to help someone build the life that they want i often think of it and i'm not a therapist but i often think of it as people who find themselves stuck yeah they have tried to overcome something or move through something or move past something. <clears throat> but for whatever reason, they've gone as far as they can go on their own or with the help of friends, and they just can't seem to move to the next place. Yeah, I think most people, by the time they've called me, <coughs> have tried every solution they can think of to solve whatever problem they're experiencing. So to your point, you know, that sense of stuckness has been, you know, around for a little while and they mm -hmm. keep trying to solve the dilemma until they just can't. And at that point, for whatever reason, they feel as if there's enough kind of motivation, probably in the form of some kind of pain to call or mm -hmm. reach out in some way. So yeah, it, it brings me to the first question. I mean, you, you kind of led right into it which is what are the reasons that people go to therapy? Can you think of any? Well, um, they don't like the way that they're treating other people, and they, they just quite frankly don't know why they do it that way. Yeah, for sure. The idea that you would um, not be aware of what's, why you're doing what you're doing is a huge one, mm -hmm. a huge reason why people come to therapy. But it's all kinds of other reasons too, like maybe there's a substance abuse problem. Or maybe you have a problem at work where something bad happened. You, you made a decision that didn't work out. Or maybe someone else did something that caused some kind of problem or stress. Or maybe grief. You know, you've been, you lost somebody important. Sure. And, you know, you know that that's part of the human experience. 
um, but some time has gone by and you still can't seem to move forward. Yeah. Or maybe there's been some kind of trauma, you know, like uh, if you've been assaulted in some way um, Mm -hmm. or you've, you know, other kinds of trauma too. Like if you're a veteran and have been in a war zone or you're not a veteran and you've been in a war zone or, you know, um, you've been in a life-threatening car accident or other life-threatening situation, all kinds of traumas people go through. It's a big reason why people call me. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of trauma in the world. I also would want to throw in there the whole other class of things, which is maybe I do okay on my own, but me and my partner can't seem to yes. connect, or yeah. me and my partner can't seem to communicate, <clears throat> or something is something about the interpersonal um, success that yeah. we're, we're having, and we can't figure out why we can't, whatever. Problems in relationship is, you know, probably one of the largest reasons people go to therapy, either because they want to do couples therapy or because they're wanting to understand on their own why there are dilemmas in their relationship. Really and that kind of gets into what we do in this podcast is we're looking at the interplay uh, between two people and where they're from and why that creates challenges. Yeah. Some of that comes out financially. Some of it doesn't. Sure. And there's a lot of challenges that you can have in a relationship um, that are not financial. Yeah, for sure. I think another reason that people go to therapy is because they have issues with food or weight or appearance, and they struggle with that and just need to talk it through with someone and figure out the complexities of that. We use diet analogies all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, you know, an obvious kind of, um, dilemma that people commonly feel around, around or food. that they have figured out. Our listeners have figured out that I've been on a lot of diets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which is also true. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think another big reason that people come to therapy is because they want to understand their own identity, who who they are in the world. You know, their the purpose of their life or the meaning mm-hmm. of their life. So they want to, you know, they get lost somehow or feeling, feeling like they're not important or not, they don't belong or they're not loved. And they want to understand what's going on in that kind of situation. I mean, there's so, I mean, we probably could spend the whole half hour just identifying all the different reasons that people to go to therapy. Um, and there really isn't, um, you know, a criteria that therapists have that say, oh, if you have this, then you can go to therapy. And if you don't, you can't. You know, if you feel some uh, subjective sense of suffering uh, or pain, that's, you know, something to think about uh, in terms of going to therapy. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to move to the next thing, which is, when we say the terms therapy or psychotherapy, I think a lot of people don't understand that that's not a single thing. Um, just like medicine has a bunch of sub areas, um, psychology has some sub areas, although that's not a directly analogous um, situation. Uh, you lost me. Okay, good. Now we can unlost you. <laughs> Um, so in psychology, 
they're the field, the clinical part of like psychology is huge, right? It includes lots of things that don't have anything to do with clinical work. Okay. But in the clinical realm of psychology, the purpose is tr- to try to figure out how to best help someone. Okay. And there are varying positions on that. People have different views about that. And so they've, um, over decades or really more than a hundred years, been working out different ways of, um, helping people, which we sometimes call theory, mm-hmm. psychological theory. So sometimes if you're, if you're a new graduate student in psychology and you want to be a clinician, then early in your training, some professor will say, here's a book, here's a textbook on all of the theories you, you might need to be familiar with because these are all the ways that humans have figured out to try to help other humans. So in the United States... Um, one of the, the, by far the largest way of thinking about how to help people is something called CBT. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy. And you and I have mentioned that mm-hmm. now and again in various episodes. It's really a way of working with someone that assumes that, that, there's, that someone's thinking is faulty. And so if you help them identify what that faulty thinking is, they'll be able to change their circumstance in one way or another. Now, that's a gross oversimplification. So can I throw an example out there? Sure. You can shoot it down and tell me that it doesn't apply at all. So if I think to myself, you know, if I would buy more shoes or if I would buy more fishing poles, I would be happier and it would solve my depression. Yeah. Yeah, if you have a belief that shoes or fishing bowls or a name your thing would somehow make you happy, and in fact it does not, then obviously through this way of thinking you would have to challenge that faulty belief. And if I challenge it, then I'm somehow free of it. You're at least, um, you're at least in the business of being aware of it occurring and having some thing you can do to help yourself move out of that dilemma. Okay. And, and so in the U.S. and really in other areas of the world, too, this is the largest um, um, theory in terms of um, how universities, you know, teach students. Another option would be psychoanalysis. You and I have talked about that on many occasions. Psychoanalysis is uh, a group of sub-theories that describe the human condition as one that contains conflict, inner conflict. We want to do one thing, but we also want to do its opposite. But we're not always aware that the conflict exists inside of us. So in psychoanalysis, we're hoping to help someone become aware of these kinds of parts of themselves and the ways they conflict. And and by knowing this consciously, you have the opportunity to create some different choice and make someone feel as if they have freedom or more agency. So would it be fair to say that CBT says the why you're doing it isn't that important? Let's let's just figure out what the wrong thinking is and have you choose to do something different where psychoanalysis would be more, let's spend some time trying to figure out what's going on inside and why you're motivated to have these conflicts. Yeah, I think that's uh, fair. I'm sure I will have some hate mail on 
agreeing to that summary, but, um, you know, any good clinician will know, no matter what theory they use, Mm -hmm. will know how to best help. And so they'll modify what they're doing because it's, you know, hopefully these things are all bespoke to the person they're working with. So it's Mm -hmm. not, hopefully they're not so bound to a particular theory that they, they're not, you know, using common sense. But yes, as a rule of thumb, CBT is not particularly interested in, um, you know, where things come from, they're much more interested in the pragmatics. Let's, let's figure out how to solve this right now. Whereas psychoanalysis by contrast is very interested in why things happen the way they do. And especially, um, how they occur in relationships with important people in our lives and what kinds of patterns come from that. So are there lots of different types of therapists or is it just mainly two camps or whatever? No, there are different types. Um, that another major type is sort of the humanistic or existential type of theory. And in this way of thinking, the, the meaning of life is the thing that's focused on a lot. Mm-hmm. As you might imagine from uh, if you ever took a philosophy class and studied the existentialists, it, it sort of has an overlap with those folks. So they're very concerned with the meaning or purpose of life. Mm-hmm. And any good therapist, no matter what theory they use, will eventually sort of want to think about that as well. So um, they, they have a huge influence on all of the theories, really. Um, so that's another one. And then you have, you, you and I have spoken in previous podcasts about uh, the theory of attachment, attachment theory. We've talked about that before. And that's a smaller kind of group. There's sort of some attachment-based um, treatments. Attachment is just the idea that one uh, has a significant bond with um, their primary caregivers, and that bond has implications across their life. Mm-hmm. And so they feel secure and safe if that bond has certain qualities, and they feel insecure or unsafe if that bond lacks certain things that are necessary. And so you, know, you might use that information to help someone. And then there are a bunch. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there are hundreds of little itty-bitty theories mm-hmm. that are really s- sort of more techniques that are used. You know, the common one that you might have heard of is something called EMDR. Have you ever heard of that? No. Eye movement and desensitization and reprocessing. It's a treatment for trauma, um, and it's very specific, you, you know, so... Um, People who do that, um, they have to get, have special training and so on. There, there are a ton of different um, techniques like this that would have been um, taught at the graduate level or postgraduate after you've already become licensed. So it seems to me, as a layperson, it might be a challenge to find a therapist. It is. And I, I feel like we should do uh, a separate episode just on how to find one because the pandemic has caused a very large mental health crisis and it's very difficult right now. It was already difficult to find a good therapist, but it's much more difficult now. So I, I, at some point I think we should do that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. But there, there are things that all of these um, different theories have in common. And I want to talk about those because no matter what kind of person you go see, no matter their professional license or the theory they might use, there are certain things, if they're good at their job, that they're going to be doing. And I want to talk through those so that you sort of know what psychotherapy is. Okay. So the first thing I would say is that a good therapist is going to figure out 
whether or not it's a good fit between the patient and the therapist. And what do I mean by that? It means that not every therapist is well-trained or comfortable helping someone with all problems. The human experience is vast and it's impossible for any single therapist to be good at everything. Mm -hmm. For instance, someone who's very good at helping someone who has a substance abuse problem may not be good at working with, you know, four-year-olds who are wetting the bed. Right. Makes sense. Um, So, you know, it's really important to be able to first look at whether the fit is good. And there are some things that you can do to figure out that as, as the person who's seeking therapy. First is, you know, you, you have to be willing to invest time and energy and money, frankly, in some situations, therapy can be quite expensive depending on what, you know, your insurance pays. So, but, but the willingness to invest time and in, in mental energy is a, a thing you have to assess for yourself and you have to assess your, the person you might be interviewing to be your therapist. So if someone seems as if maybe they're not that interested in talking with you, that could be a huge red flag since that's makes what sense, you're there sense. to do, right? And the next thing I would say in terms of fit is to make sure that you feel as if there's mutually agreed upon goals, that they're clear and straightforward and they match what you need. So if the clinician is somehow not grasping what you're telling them and it seems as if they want to help you help you in quotes um, in a way that you don't feel as if you need that's probably a bad fit and the third one I would say is you know agree on whatever the method is going to be have a conversation with your clinician about what it looks like going forward. What are you going to be doing together? And how is that going to be done? They should be able to answer that question relatively easily. They, they might answer it from one of the theoretical um, positions we just talked about, like CBT or psychoanalysis or whatever. And if they use language that's foreign or unfamiliar, be sure to ask them what it means because it, you ideally want someone, who, if they're a good fit, who's not going to use technical terms with you. They're going to speak about subjects clearly, and that makes sense in a, for you in a way you can understand. Does that make sense? Let me ask you kind of an off-the-wall question because I want to lead you to answering another question. I see ads um, on the Internet and on TV about um, online therapy. Yeah. And it makes me wonder... How long does therapy take? What kind of expectations should I have? Is this like, you know, filling a prescription? I mean, it seems strange to me that, you know, I can go online and answer a few questions and and get my my lifelong problems addressed. Yeah. You know, the pandemic created a really interesting situation for my profession. Prior to the pandemic, there were very few people who were doing online therapy. But because the pandemic made all of us um, isolate homebound, really, um, we all had to pivot and figure out what it was we were going to do to solve the problem of continuing work with our patients because um, they couldn't just stop. 
you know, and, and not have contact with their therapist. So immediately, like the vast majority of therapists who would have looked down on online therapy as being a, a lesser version of therapy suddenly figured out how to get online themselves so they could continue working with the people they were trying to help. But I suspect you're asking a slightly different question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're asking, um, are the, the myriad of apps um, that have come up really since the pandemic, uh, are they equivalent to going to a therapist's office and sitting down with them and having a conversation? So, for instance, a ton of these apps ha offer, quote-unquote, therapy by text, where the patient, you know, texts their their comments or their questions, and the therapist is supposed to respond in a certain time frame or in a, you know, like in an in an hour, within an hour or a certain, you know, they have a window in which they're going to respond. I I I don't understand this. I have um, such I have a hard enough time texting with my wife. Yeah, getting it right, right, and getting understood. And and we know each other pretty well. Yeah, I you know I'm I'm not I don't think I would consider myself necessarily a digital native because I didn't grow up with a phone in my hand, mm -hmm. and so I think I probably have a different experience of texting than perhaps someone who you know had a phone when they were ten or whatever and and used that as a. A, a means of communication. Yeah, my kids keep telling me, quit being so aggressive by using punctuation. Yes, my, they say that to me too. Yeah, they're like, I, I always know it's you because you put periods on your sentences. Yeah. Like, okay, right. Are you mad? Yeah. <laughs> my, no. They just, ask yeah. me that too. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I personally think, and, you know, I, I'm sure I'll get hate for this too. Um, my personal opinion is that these are not equivalent experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm being generous on a generous day, I would say maybe that's another thing um, that could be useful, but it's not psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And I think meaningful psychotherapy requires, <sighs> you know, a human connection that it, that sustains growth and creates safety. And I think face to face, we need, you know, we need to um, consider face to face as being a, an important aspect of that. Um, so that's my, that's my comment on it. All right. So let's wrap things up here. I think all good therapists work towards understanding the experience of the people they're helping. I mean, understanding the person who's sitting in front of you is the primary thing that therapists need to do in order to be helpful. You and I have talked about empathy almost every episode. I mean, it's a common theme. So if you're going to a therapist and you feel as if they don't understand, you feel as if they are not empathic to your situation, run, find someone else. Mm -hmm. A good therapist will be, it will be an easy path for them to be empathic. They will easily be able to understand your perspective, at least in the beginning. And then they'll be working to grow a depth of understanding as therapy goes. So that's definitely one. <clears throat> the, in terms of like the methods or the techniques people use, 
you probably don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about that. Let them do their job. Okay. But generally speaking, you need to know what it is that they're going to be doing, which may be as simple as asking questions. You know from talking with me over a lot of time that a lot of what I do is ask questions or make comments. So it's just a conversation between people. And it's the quality of the questions or comments that I make that help to illuminate um, someone's experience that they might not have been able to see on their own. Mm-hmm. And because something was hidden and then we work towards helping it be in the light, they have the, the possibility of making different decisions and choosing you know, to use some of their agency to change their life. And then I think finally, you know, one of the things all psychotherapy has in common is the therapist is attempting to create a situation in which growth is ongoing, not just during the moment of psychotherapy, but well beyond that. So that um, a person's life is growing not just because of a removal of symptoms they didn't like, but because they started to imagine what it is they wanted out of their life and, and did the things that would be necessary to make that happen. That makes sense. You know, you, you, um, you expose something that gets somebody stuck, going back to my simple language, and they, experience, they think they experience that in one place of their life. Right. Maybe over time they realize that that piece of information that was illuminated to them actually frees them up in a lot of other areas. Yeah. So, yeah, I can totally see It has that. an exponential, exponential um, growth. Mm-hmm. You sort of grow. You've learned something about yourself, right? And that thing still applies long after therapy has stopped. We've said this so many times. We all think we know how we tick. And yeah. there's just so much still to learn right. um, about what drives us. For sure. All right, so that's what I got. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Sure. See you next time. Hey, thanks for listening. Please leave us a review and follow us so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit relational-media.com.